Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Everyone say out loud, as loud as you want to say it, the word connected. connected. One more time. Connected. connected. We're doing a series entitled Connected. Connected being... Vitally connected is God's desire, purpose, and dream for your life. This is what I want to drive home and speak with you about. Being connected is God's dream for your life. God has already provided all the life-giving connection points to secure your future and live out your destiny. Now, I believe there are definite life-giving, pivotal points where a person needs to have a vital, secure connection. When there's a disconnect to those obvious, vital connecting points, life is not lived according to divine plan. So life then is lived according to your own plan, according to someone else's plan, or according to no plan at all. It just kind of falls as it moves forward, which is not the will of God for your life. You are to be strategic. You are to be a person who has a strategic mindset and that you're living out these particular pivotal connecting points in such a strategic way you would know if you have them or if you miss them. There are seven that we'll be dealing with out of the book of Ephesians. These seven connecting points are Christ, purpose, power, leadership, relationship, church, and Holy Spirit. These are the seven connecting points that I will lay out for you very clearly. Your Christ connection, your purpose, your power, your leadership, your relationship, your church, your Holy Spirit. Are you connected? Now, if you're not connected to any one of these seven, I hope that I'll be able to illuminate them. I hope that I'll be able to point it out, and you will simply say, not out of guilt and condemnation, but out of response, that's a weak point in my life. That's a disconnect in my life. If that's an important connect, man, I have totally missed that one right there. Hopefully, I can point it out clear enough that when we get to those, you would simply assimilate them right into your life and say, I need a Christ connection. Boy, I really do need a purpose connection. You know what I really need? I need to really understand what a church connection is. I really don't know if I have all my relationship connections in place. And What do you mean by a leadership connection or a Holy Spirit connection? How do these connections work in my life? I've taken the seven most obvious connections in the book of Ephesians. These are not just in the book of Ephesians. They kind of overlay the whole New Testament and even further, the whole Bible. How we are to connect with every one of these particular points in our life. Let's start with the Christ connection. The Christ connection. To believe in Christ and to receive Christ into your life is the Christ connection. This is what I'm talking about. To be one with Him. A vital union in which the believer is invigorated and renewed by the life of Christ, resulting in a spiritual union made real reality by faith. To believe in Christ, to receive Christ, to be one with Christ, to have a vital union with Christ, to be renewed in Christ, invigorated in Christ, to come to a place of faith in Christ. I realize that I'm speaking to Services that are filled with believers and people that are filled with a journey. Some people have confirmed their belief system and know exactly where they stand in Christ. 
I happen to know there are people that attend churches, not only with ours, but around the nation and the world, that attend church, but they don't attend Christ. Christ is not in them. They go to a building, but that's as far as it goes. How do I know that? I lived that for 17 years. I was raised in church, but did not know Christ. I went to church, but had no connection to Jesus. There was no vital union. There was no joy. There was no life, no change, no personal, intimate discussions ever with Jesus. There was nothing internal. It was all external. It was all what I heard and what I did. It had nothing to do with who I was. I accepted it as religion. That's the way religion is. It's external. It's not internal. That's what church does. It talks about things I'm not interested in. Church talks about things that I'm supposed to do I don't want to do. Church is an institution that is good for some people but not for me. I'm not that kind of a person. I never really embraced the message of Christ for myself because of that religious thing that I was brought up in and because I was a little self-deceived about what that relationship meant. So I went many years without ever really connecting vitally, personally, intimately to Christ. When I did get connected, it was obvious I was not connected before. If I had any doubt back here, when I finally became connected, all doubts were removed. I knew that I was never connected. I knew at that point it was never real to me. It was never my own. It was never personal. At that point, everything made sense to me. You might be listening to me not knowing if you're connected to Christ. I want to make sure everyone that comes into our particular ministry and congregation and visitors and friends and people you bring to visit the congregation and the church services, that everyone would be faced with this and understand where they are. Do you have a Christ connection? A Christ connection, if you have it, the words that I'm going to read right now would make sense to you. Is to know Christ as Savior. Of course I know Christ as Savior. He's forgiven my sins. And not only at some point forgave my sins, but he forgives my sins all the time. I do business with Jesus all the time with my sins. He's my Savior. He digs me out. He helps me. He's my Lord. He's Almighty God. When I have a need, I go to him first. I actually believe that God is powerful and God is Almighty. He's my shepherd. People might let me down. Church might let me down. Family might let me down. But when it's all said and done, the bottom line, when the whole world goes out, Christ comes in. He's my shepherd. He's the one I go to for my first line of counsel, for my first line of peace. When I'm in the middle of a battle, it's Christ, my shepherd, that I go to because he's personally my shepherd. He's my father. Fathers might let you down. Fathers might lie to you. Fathers might not communicate with you. But Father God will communicate with you. Father God will keep you when no one else can. He's my father. He loves me. I'm written on the palms of his hand. He will never reject me. It's not an attitude of works I have. He's my father. He's my encourager. When I need a word, I go to the word of God. I go to prayer and the Father lifts me up and words begin to pour into my soul. When everyone else forgets me, when everyone else judges me, when everyone else writes me off, when people say, you're the worst husband ever, you're the worst wife ever, you're the worst daughter, son ever, you're the worst person, or you're a person who will never change. How could you do that to people? What is with you? What is wrong with you? When everyone else writes me off, there's one who never writes me off, 
always has a good word for me, will lift me up and will whisper in my ear, I'm for you, I can help you, I am your father, I am your shepherd, I am your encourager, I am for you all the time. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is the one who gives the wind beneath my wings to lift me up the song of my heart. He's the breath of my life. He's my friend who is always there. When hope is needed, it's Jesus that brings it. He's my strength. He's my healer. I never knew a Jesus like this. I never knew a Jesus like this. I never knew he could be that good. Never knew it. I never knew that he would lift me up in the midst of the worst kind of situations and the worst failures that you can have. Jesus doesn't leave you, doesn't forsake you, doesn't leave you behind. He comes right in, he talks with you, he deals with you. He enters your world. He's a part of you. He's not an external religion philosophy. He's not something that comes from the out to the in. He's not, he's not a thought that just kind of sweeps by. He's not the God off in the cosmos somewhere. He's right here. He lives in me. In Philippians chapter 3, I'd like you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. I want you to see the words of the Apostle Paul when he simply speaks about his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul was an educated man. He would be a PhD in our day. He was a wealthy man. He was a political man. He was an influential man. He was a moral man. He was a man that was well respected in all circles. He's a man who would figure things out. He was one of the best minds known in that day. That's why he wrote 14 of our epistles. The man knew how to think. The man knew how to educate. The man had memorized, according to his particular education, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the man who understood everything about the religion of God understood that he would be a radical persecutor of anybody that would stand against Judaism. And yet when he met Christ, everything in his world changed. I want you to read and follow with me as I read Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. We'll pick up verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me? Well, he had so many things that he gained. These I have counted loss for Christ. I want you to think about your own life. Was there ever a time where you would say, you had some things you lost for Christ. You drew a line. You put something behind you. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. See, Paul was a man who lived on his own righteousness, fulfilling the law. He did everything right, but there was still a big void in his heart. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. This is Paul's heartbeat now. I want to know him. When's the last time you prayed any prayer like that? I just want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you more. Everything that I've done up to now is nothing. I would give up anything to know you for 
know you more in any way that you want me to know you. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I, I want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. This is a man that's not afraid to go through anything to know him more. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on to what? That I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. There was a time when Christ laid hold of Paul. There was a time when God put his hands literally on Paul's life and said, Paul, you're mine. You're no longer your own. And Paul says, I know that day. I know that Christ took hold of my life. And I'm trying now to take hold of Christ to understand the purpose, to understand my destiny. Because there was a day when God came into my world and stopped my world and God took a hold of my life. I'm asking you that question. Was there a day when God took a hold of your life? Was there a time when Christ entered your world? Was there a time when you drew a line and said, everything back here is nothing, everything going this direction is everything, and what everything it is for me is to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know that man. I want to know everything about him, and I want to become like him. There was a day in my life when I turned to God, not religiously, but in my own spirit and heart, I fell apart before the Lord Jesus Christ and I gave my life over. And ever since that day under that little tree on that golf course, ever since that day, in the middle of the night, when I cried out to Jesus, it was no longer just a, a little religious thing or a prayer or church thing. It was me pouring my life out saying, I give up. My life belongs to you. I'm turning to you. I'm giving up right now. I'm laying hold of a purpose that I feel. And I turn my life to God. I know that day. I know the feeling. I know the prayer. I know the atmosphere. I can go there in my mind. If I close my eyes, I'll be right there. I know the feeling I had. I know the Spirit of God that came on me. I know what happened from that moment on. I know the steps I took to guarantee something had happened. I know what happened when I was water baptized. I know when I was filled with the Spirit. I know when I responded to the call of God. Why? Because there was a pivotal point when I turned to know Christ personally, individually, from my own life. Now, turn back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 and verse 13. I hope you mark these in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, now this is what happens when you have a Christ connection. In Him. Everyone's out loud, in Him. Amen. Now remember, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this 170 sometimes, 172, 76, 100 and 70 plus times, Paul says, in Christ and Him, in Christ and Him, and other writers pick up on it. There are only two kinds of people. There's not three. There's two. There are the people that are in, and there are the people that are out. There's no in-between. Either you're in Christ, and He's in you, or you're out of Christ, and He's out of you. If you're in Christ, something changes in heart, in world, and in your future. If you're out of Christ, your mind can change, your emotions can be swept through once in a while, but nothing changes because you're not in, you're out. When you go to heaven, or when you go to hell, when you finally go to your eternal state, whether you believe it or not, the Bible, which I believe, speaks about both heaven and hell. 
Hell's not a popular subject. Hell is a hard subject. Why? Because hell's a horrible place. Hell is a horrible place to go. And people that are out of Christ will not have another chance after death but to go to the place that is in the outer darkness. They can't go anywhere else. If you have been taught that there's another chance after death, somebody has sold you a wrong bill of goods. It is untrue. It doesn't work that way. There is no purgatory. That was a medieval doctrine that was brought into the church to make money for the church during that time. There's no such thing as purgatory. The Bible knows nothing about purgatory. The Bible knows nothing about another chance after a person dies. The Bible knows nothing about some of the doctrines of the church that if you work these good works that you shall be saved. The Bible only has one message when it comes to the salvation of a human soul. If you are in Christ, you will be in salvation, you will be in the gospel, and you will have eternal life. If you're not in Christ, there is nothing you can do to buy it. There's nothing you can do to bargain with it. There's nothing you can do, especially if you go all the way to death and then end up dying without Christ in your life. There is no other chance. If you believe that your brother is a good guy and he did good works and I think he'll probably go to heaven, then you are really banking on a very thin philosophical doctrinal view with a human soul that could go to a place that they would never want to go because you won't tell them that the difference is not in good works or go to a church or choose whatever you want to believe in. Any, any religion will do. It's not true. There's only one way to God. One way is in Christ. The gospel is the only way in. And if people don't have that, their whole life is set the wrong direction. The Apostle Paul says, in him, come on, say it, in him, Amen. we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. In him, you also trust that after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. There can be no salvation without a person believing. If you're not able to believe, there is no salvation. That's why it's so hard for us to think about the world. And it was brought up even to the Apostle Paul about people all over the world. He says, well, how can they hear if someone doesn't tell them? And Paul says, that's why it's so important to go into all the world and preach the gospel because they need to hear the truth. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, here's the problem. I call it the power of fallenness. Romans 5 and verse 12. The problem is that not everybody believes in Romans 5.12. The problem is not everybody believes that the human race is born into sin and needs a Savior. People try to somehow philosophically unwind that and say, well, human souls, not everybody needs the same salvation. Not everybody is that bad. What happens to a person that is good as Mother Teresa but never really does your little salvation thing? You think God is going to turn them away just because they don't do your little salvation thing? You have to reckon with that yourself. I would say yes. I would say the Bible gives no room for me to budge on this or to bargain with you or to make you feel better about it. There's only one way to do this. It's the Bible way. And if you believe the Bible way, you'll have Bible results. If you don't believe the Bible way, you won't have Bible results. The Bible says, Romans 5.12, therefore just as through, I hope you're turning there and maybe you'll mark this scripture, just as through one man sin entered the world. That's what the Bible says. Sin entered the world through one man and death. The consequence of sin is death. You can't buy yourself out of death, beg yourself out of death, educate yourself out of death. If you are alive now, you won't be alive forever. 
You might have 10 years. You might have 10 months. You might have 10 days. You don't know that. But you know that by the time you get to 70 or 80, you're pressing your luck. There's not many people at all. The president sends everybody over 100 years of age a letter, and only a few of those go out per year. It's a very short span, 100 years. And then everyone faces what we all don't want to face, death. And everyone tries to figure out what happens after death, and there's a lot of views to that. If you understand the Bible, the Bible is very clear what happens to you when you die. Here it says that everyone is born into sin and there's this reality of fallenness, the reality that the human race has something wrong with it. We have inherited what we call an Adamic nature. We're in Adam. Being in Adam, we are in his sin. Being in his sin, we all fell together. As one man fell, the whole human race fell. In our thoughts, in our actions, in our eternal state, we all fell with Adam. Sin entered the world. Now, fallenness, what does it mean? We are born sinners. On the influence that I'm preaching this morning of Scripture, the Bible is very clear. We're born sinners. We have inherited a sin nature. There's something wrong. An inner disposition inclining us to do wrong. We don't have to go to a seminar to do wrong. We don't have to meditate on wrong. We are self-willed, selfish, and sinful. From the very beginning, there's something in our nature that is twisted it's inherited that way. We, we move that direction. We have something wrong in us. We don't immediately call on the name of the Lord. We don't immediately try to serve God. We don't immediately have a spirit of faith. We resist that. Our flesh resists that. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want anybody to lord their life over us. We want to have the freedom to choose our own belief. We want the autonomy. We want the independency. We want to do it our way. We want to please our flesh. We want to live our life. It's all Adamic. And so as we're born into that self-will, selfishness, core center that's wrong, then the world and the flesh begin to feed it. And as you grow in life, you can become more and more hardened toward God, more and more independent, more and more rational, more and more philosophical, until you finally just say, you know what, I don't need God. And you know what, I don't need the church for sure. And you know what? I don't even know about this Sunday school little piddly stuff you preach about heaven and hell. Who knows? And so people get more calloused and more insensitive and more resisting and the gospel tries to penetrate their life but there's something going on in them because they have a sinful nature. Fallenness means we sin because we are sinners. Romans 5, 18, 19 says, By one man's offense, judgment came on all men. I live under judgment and condemnation until I find Christ. I'm a child of wrath. The judgment of God is over my life. doesn't mean God judges everything I do every day and God is there with a hammer just to smack me when I turn the corner. But the judgment means ultimately I will come under the judgment of God where God will pronounce me in or out of Christ and my state will be secured by my decision. Fallen can be described in these words. Think about them. Enslavement. Sin is what? Sin is enslavement. Dead and trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Walking in the course of this world. Enslavement. The effects of sin, is it enslaves me. It, it empowers me to do the wrong thing. And the more I give into it, the more it enslaves me. The more I get enslaved, the more I get opinionated. The more I get opinionated, the more I resist God. And there's this vicious circle that goes on. That's why the gospel is not readily received by the world. There's a vicious circle that's going on in people's soul. Second, 
Sin is implicitly aggressive power at work. It is a strong power that works in people. You're born in it, shaped in it, driven by it. Sin is that thing that is ruthless in you. It'll hurt you and everyone around you, and you'll just compromise yourself by making excuses for yourself. It's the environment. It's someone that did this. They deserve this reaction I'm having. You know what? They deserve what's happening to them because... And you have this ruthlessness about you that can hurt people, resist people, rip people off, lie to yourself, lie to your spouse, lie to your parent. A, a, a system in you that is aggressive. Sin never stops, never takes a vacation, never takes any time off, never backs off and says, I've made them bad enough. I've made them evil enough. I'll just leave them alone on. Sin never stops. It wants all of you. It will come after you every bit of your soul. It will come to defile and to bring you to a place of destruction and a lapse in your character. Sin doesn't stop. Then there's denial. I want a denial. A life of denial means I want to live with a denial about the consequences of sin. Well, I have a long time to live. I don't think I'll face death. And when I do face death, I think I'll figure it out. So we want to deny that. We want to deny the fact that we're getting older. This generation called the baby boomers, my age group, oh man, we have every term possible to describe aging. Every medicine possible to make sure we don't. And every philosophy possible to make sure we don't have any real big surprise when we get too old. And for sure, when we finally go to sleep, or when we cross over, or when we turn into another thing, or when we join all the particles in the cosmos, whatever and however you want to describe it. We have all kinds of ways to take away the edge that there's death coming and with that, there's a very big unknown. Where will I be at death? Is it all over right now? Is this it? Fourth, there's an insensitivity. Sin causes the person to have a heart that's not sensitive to God anymore. A heart that can react and resist. And five is failure. Sin, missing the mark, transgressing, overstepping boundaries, bringing more failure into your life, more condemnation, more giving up, not turning to Christ. Then we have the in-Adam excuses. Well, these are some of the things we use to try to explain that our human misconduct is not so bad. There's really not that many things wrong with us. So we say, really, it's our genes. It's not me. It's the genes that's in me. Or it's my chemistry. It's my chemistry makeup and all the things that have come in to make me the person I am. There's really not me personally. It's just all this misconduct stuff and feelings I have is, well, it's my family tree. You know, my grandfather hadn't been a horse thief. I wouldn't be so bad. And my grandmother hadn't done what she did. You know what? And if my father hadn't been such a jerk, I wouldn't be such a jerk. But you know what? My family tree is kind of a family tree of, you know, people that had a lot of problems. Therefore, I blame them for it, and I don't see myself as really... And so we make excuses. It's just my temperament. The reason I'm so angry, and the reason I so lost, and the reason I so lie, and the reason I so resist, and the reason I'm so autonomous, well, you know, it's just the way I am. It's my temperament, and I can't help myself. I was created this way. You're giving in to the whole sin lie, you're giving into a philosophy that excuses you to be the way that you are. And you don't have to be the way you are. It's my parents' fault. It's my upbringing. Well, it's the educational system. You know, there's just so many things taught nowadays. I just don't really know what I believe anymore. And, you know, the educational system has taken away my faith. And, you know, right now I think everybody should think for themselves and just kind of figure it out. Sin is at work. 
our social environment trying to get us to think that we can figure it out. Well, I think to make the connection, you simply have to do this. Making the connection, what? You just have to understand one thing. Understand you must do whatever you have to do to make the vital connection, which is written in the Scriptures. Not me telling you what to do. It's not a church or a theologian or a social worker or a teacher or some expounder of the Word. All you have to do is pick up and read the Bible for yourself. Start with the Gospel of John and then go and maybe read the book of Ephesians. Read the book of First John. If you really want to get into it, read the book of Revelation. That will give you some dreams. If you just want to read the Bible yourself, I guarantee you that you'll come to some conclusions if you'll just read yourself. But the answer to what you should do is in the Scripture. There's five things the Scripture says that are basic. Number one, believe the Gospel. Just believe the Gospel. Ephesians 1.13 says, trust it, believe it. Believe the Gospel, that the Gospel that Christ died for you, Christ rose from you, that the Gospel is a personal decision, is something you have to do. Believe the Gospel. My being in a Christian family, being surrounded by Christians, does not make me a Christian. God has no grandchildren, only children. You cannot get into the kingdom of God because of anyone else. There's no piggybacking. There's no slipping you a special pass. There's no saying, but my grandfather was a martyr missionary in China. It doesn't matter. Great for him. Not so great for you if you don't believe. There's nothing you can do for someone else to make them a Christian. It is a personal decision. Becoming a Christian is not where you live and what country you live in. Becoming a Christian has nothing to do with someone praying over you. Someone slips up to the altar or in your coffee spot somewhere, anywhere, and they just pray for you. Say, well, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, I just pray that right now you come into their heart and cleanse them of their sin. And, and Lord, you would just uh, overtake them with your grace and fill them with your love. And you pray that prayer over them. It doesn't make them a Christian. If I could do that, I would go pray that prayer of everybody, whether they wanted me to or not. I would say, sit down, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. I don't want to pray, it doesn't matter. You're going to listen to my prayer. Jesus, come into my, their heart right now. But I don't want you. It doesn't matter what you want. It's what I want. Just sit here and let me pray this prayer. I would do it to everybody. There would be nobody escape me. I'd take the bus, the train, the plane. I'd hitchhike. I'd, I'd pray this over every living human being that was ever around me. But it doesn't work that way. They personally have to pray the prayer and believe. They have to say, Jesus, come into my life. Just as I hear that prayer, that, that heart. See, I, I would think that in heaven there's a huge building that has millions of angels working. Because angels, you just create as many as you want. If you want more angels, just mm, more angels. There, there's no lack of angels. There's a lack of angels. Mm, you make more. You know, and you can have angels that do nothing but just record them. Mm, record angels. I want a million of them. Mm, that, okay, you guys right there. That's what, heaven's like that. God creates angels however he needs them. I think in heaven there's a name for every heart. Every soul that takes a breath, they're registered. 
Here's soul 6,792,000,000. Got it. I'm the angel over this one. And when that heart has a spiritual entry into Christ, all of heaven knows it. Not when I pray over them, not when you pray for them, but when that human heart says, Jesus, I need you. It doesn't have to be some prayer that I pray that you have to repeat exactly the same word, but it's an acknowledgement that you need Christ as your Savior. Acknowledgement that you're turning your life to God. Acknowledgement that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you. When that human heart cries out to God, heaven records it. How do I know that? Because it says all the names are in a book. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. Every name's in a book. All those who are in, but then roll call comes at the resurrection. It's in your Bible. I'm not making this up. This is not a sci-fi message. It's in your Bible. Roll call. We're going to call out all the names of everybody that has never accepted Christ, and we are going to, unfortunately, throw you into hell. Ready? Alvin Smith. Hmm? Joe, mm. John, mm. and it says that we will have to listen to this. That's a meeting I don't want to be at. That's a meeting I do not want to be at, but I will be. That roll call, can you even imagine? You'd be hanging on every word. What letter is he on? D. D, 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 Demont, 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 D, A, M, D, A, M, D, A, M, A, D, A, M, A. Oh, here we go, here we go. Demasios! Oh, God, oh, God, here we go, here we go. I hope all of them got in. I hope all of them got in. Oh, they missed that one. He didn't get in. Well, you never talked to him, but I thought you talked to him. I didn't talk to him. Did you talk? No, it's your fault. Oh. No catching him. No going diving in after him. Done. Over. Talk about a reality check. You think about it. Either I'm telling you the truth and trying to milk your emotions or it happens to be right here in the Holy Scriptures and you just haven't read it for a while. There is a reckoning day, a day of judgment, a day of accountability where every person will not stand before the judgment seat of Christ with any friend, with any mother, any father, any preacher, anybody else. You stand there by yourself. Frank DiMazio, yes, yes, sir, I'm right here. Um... Your name's in the book of life. <sighs> thank you. Thank you very much. And we have all your awards. <laughs> That's true. What are you laughing? That's in the Bible. <laughs> and for some it's going to be, oh, uh, John Smith, uh, you're saved, mm, but so is by fire. You barely got in. You have no awards. You have no crowns. You have nothing. But you do, do get to go to heaven. How many of you would say, John Smith would still say, hallelujah. I yeah. uh, just barely get in. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. It says some will be saved so as by fire. They just, <gasps> fire insurance, boom, barely get in. <laughs> These could be the last breath people that you pray on the deathbed, which I have prayed a number of prayers on deathbed people. And I believe their prayers heard just like the prayer of the person that was saved when they were nine years old. 
That's why the parable that Jesus gives, he says, some of those people say, hey, we've been working all day long. We've been here for eight hours, and you gave the person who came two minutes before midnight the same pay that you gave us who worked eight hours. What's with that? Jesus says, they all get paid the same in my kingdom. That's the way it would be in that day. They say, what? They shouldn't get in. They live their whole life like hell, and then they just... The last breath asked for Jesus. Not fair. (laughs) But it's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. Why? Because God is so merciful and God is so loving and God is so right. He wants every person to come to that place. Even if it's the last breath. But saves was by fire. No awards. No rewards. No specialties. At least they're in. What point am I on? Oh, Jesus. Quickly, you know what that means. Receive the gospel. Okay, believe the gospel. Receive the gospel. Receive regeneration, repentance, and a new creation. Those are the five things that I've just preached to you, kind of, in a roundabout way. All right? But you do need to have a personal belief. You do need to have a time where you say, I received it. You do need to have regeneration, which means something comes alive inside of you. You do need to have a repentance point where you turn toward God. And you know the day you did it. You do need to have a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, where things are becoming new in your life. When that happens, you'll never question your salvation. You'll be a person who was saved And sealed and peace of mind and you you know how you really know when you're saved how much you want to tell other people about it. If you're religious, you don't open your mouth because you don't care. You actually don't believe your friends going to hell if they don't find Christ. Are your relatives, are your spouse, are your brother, your mother, your father. But when you're saved, really saved, and something starts in you, the very first thing you do is you put on the gospel shoes and you start running to your friends. Hey, I just want to check something. What's with you? I just, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Well, I go to church. Yeah, I I know that. But I want to ask you a couple questions. When did you accept Christ? What do you mean? When did you believe in the gospel? Well, what do you mean by the gospel? When did you know that Jesus Christ died for you, rose from the dead, is alive today, forgave you of your sins, came and lived inside of you, and you felt something happen to you? When did that happen? Well, come on. I don't know. I don't know if that happened. Well, well, then I, I want to pray with you right now. Why? Because I I want you to find Christ. You need a new beginning point. When you're saved, you're driven to talk. When you're religious, you're driven to be quiet. You judge yourself. Go ye in all the world. That's you and me. That's not just the missionaries to China. It's you and me. If we really believe that the cross is the only way, 
we would all become preachers of the gospel.